Most people know that Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication with law enforcement, as well as create educational opportunities so we can be better, more informed citizens. For the last several months, all the news stations have been promoting a negative mindset towards the entire law enforcement community. I agree that some of the recent events are beyond egregious. However, those events do not represent the vast majority of the brave men and women who risk their lives daily to keep the rest of us safe. I'm asking you to please, next time you see a member of law enforcement, show some appreciation and thank them for their service. Now, let's start the show. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining Law Matters. Our guest today is our brand new police chief. Tucson Police Chief Chad is here. We want to know everything about you. So tell us from the beginning. Where were you born? When were you born? Who are you living with? Are you married? Do you have kids? All of everything. Tell us. Gotcha. Well, good morning. Good morning, <laughs> Tucson. Uh, my name is Chad Casmore. I'm your chief of police. So I am a uh, native of Tucson. I was born here. Uh, third generation, raising fourth. I got two sons, two amazing young men, uh, one soon to be 12 and one 18 and get ready to go to college. A little bit about me is um, uh, I did spend a little bit of time in San Diego. Um, I was, like a lot of people, I had a divorced family uh, and uh, had the opportunity to go to San Diego for a couple of years and went to high school there. But I ultimately ended up graduating from Amphitheater High School oh, okay. and went to the University of Arizona, where a lot of people don't know. I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree. That's a little bit unusual for, for a cop <laughs> and a chief of police. Uh, but uh, I worked for the city. My journey with the city actually started uh, in 1996, where I started lifeguarding and a swim instructor during the summers to support my way through college. And that's where I met my my wife. So I, I to date, say that the best thing the city ever gave me was the opportunity to meet my wife, lifeguarding. There you and, go. Uh, she's also a graduate uh, first in her family from University of Arizona. And, uh, yeah, we started, we started dating in college and, and ultimately, uh, I rescued her. She was making some poor life decisions and she went up to Arizona State University. Oh, no. So I tell everybody that I rescued her, uh, back. <laughs> and she's a wildcat and uh, we all make poor decisions sometimes, but she saw the, <laughs> the wrongs her. of her. Dis- yeah, I forgave her because who looks good in maroon and gold? Uh, but, uh, yeah. So in, in 2000, in 1999, I actually tested for the police department. I had a, a, lifelong best friend whose father was a, a sergeant for the police department. And I thought, you know, uh, I think I'm going to join the police department. And I tested my junior year and they offered me a job and I promptly went and told my dad I was going to get married and drop out of college and start the police department. He was not happy. <laughs> so uh, one of the few times I listened to my father and uh, was 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 that opportunity and, and the department let me postpone for a year and wrap up college. So in August of 2000, I actually walked in May. I had to take summer school to finish my classes. I walked in in, uh, in May. I graduated in August on a Wednesday. I got married Saturday and I started the police academy two weeks later. Oh my God. That was like boom, boom, boom. Yeah. For the first three years, I told my wife, you know, as she was finishing college, she was about a year behind me that, you know, life was going to slow down. But uh, I've just I've had such an amazing career at the Tucson Police Department. And and every year to two years, I had a different assignment or a different squad or something new happening. So life for us really hasn't slowed down in almost a 22 year career here. August will be my my 22nd anniversary, both being married and to my amazing partner, Don Casmore, who's, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if. She didn't have things locked down at home. Thank her for her service. Oh, she's definitely got the harder job I, of the two of us. Every time I, I meet some amazing law enforcement person, I says, thank your spouse because it takes a team. It, it sure does. And when I, I, I had the opportunity, we had our 50th uh, anniversary of our canine unit um, 
Sergeant Paul Sheldon put on an amazing event, and we had a bunch of retirees come. It was it was a really special event. And when did that happen? Uh, it was about two weeks ago. It was, it was small and, and private for, for members and past members, and we even had the founding member of the K-9 unit. We had uh, retired Chief Miranda, who I don't know if many folks knew was a K-9 handler. I was a young sergeant working midnights, and we shared a locker next to Chief. I shared a locker next to Chief Miranda, so we had a lot of interesting talks when. I was getting off in the morning to go home to go to bed, and he was coming in to, to do his work as chief. So, uh, But he, he made a joke. The chief made a joke. I actually made a, uh, some opening remarks and then handed the mic over to uh, retired Chief Miranda, and he, every, he told everybody, he goes, well, this is what you look like at the front of a chief career, and now I'm what you look like after you know, the end of a chief career. But we had a great night. But my, my point with that conversation was I, you know, I took time. That's such an, a, a high-speed, amazing unit that has a lot of impact on family because it's not just that the family worries about their loved one going to work, but they also f- form a bond with the canine. And, and, the, and you know, it, it's not just an animal for work. It's, a, it's part of their family. So they, get, they actually worry about two family members when they go to work. But for all of us as law enforcement, we couldn't do what we do. We love it, and uh, our families support us, and that's a, that's a big deal. Jeff Rumsley is on our board. Yeah, I know Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. Great guy. Yes. He's yes, a he great is. guy. Okay. You're the first police chief to be on our show. So, you know, there's a lot of pressure here. When they announced that you were going to be chief, you could almost hear this, this collective sigh of relief across the city. Everybody was so happy that they didn't throw the net out and bring in another stranger to take over that you were here and you're vested in them. Vested in the department, vested in Tucson, and actually care about the people that work for you, and no pressure, right? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no pressure. So it, that was an interesting, you know, 2021 was an interesting year of transition. I was for the for the listeners, if they didn't know, I was TDY'd the full year. I wasn't the deputy chief that year. I was actually the interim public safety communications director, which is our 911 center. We call it an ECC, emergency communication center. And I had the opportunity to step away from the department and help um, organize and facilitate uh, the consolidation of police and fire communications. That was a project I had uh, contributed to about four years earlier. And and frankly, it just it, it hadn't had the traction and, and the progress that it should have had. So I had the opportunity to go down and fix some of the wrongs that I I contributed to and just work with such an amazing group of individuals. You talk about a tough job. Yeah. Uh, 911 call takers or dispatchers. It's a, it's a tough but rewarding job. Uh, and, and through the year as uh, then chief Magnus was being courted for his, you know, a commissioner position, there was a lot of uncertainty for the department. And I think that's what you felt and the community felt was like, okay, where are we headed or what does our future look like? No, it was, it was really unsettling. It was like, okay, what's happening? And then you came along and everybody's like, Phew. Thank God. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, um, that that took courage from the mayor and the city manager and the council at a time in this country where there's not too many internal candidates that are direct appointed. Uh, and True. and so th- those were some, you know, there was there were some behind the scenes conversations about where I was at and where they were at. And and frankly, my 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 attitude has always been as you know, I've I've been a fixer for the city for a long time. You know, if there's been a challenging assignment or something that needed attention, I certainly get that gene from my mother. I, I'm I'm a fixer. Uh, and this is certainly the biggest project that I've that I've taken on in in almost my 22 year career. Um, it you know and and it, you know for the for the listenership again, I I'd a little bit more about me as 
uh, from a, a long history of uh, remodeling cars and houses and working with my hands and having a vision for something. That's, I think, where the, the art brain in me comes out. You know, I, I can see something and I know exactly where I want it to be and then I chart out a path to get us there. And so whether you're talking about, re, you know, remodeling a house or rebuilding a classic car or a hot rod or an off-road car or, or fixing a squad, a division or a department, um, you have to have a vision and then you have to inspire people to join to you on the on. journey. Exactly. Exactly. So you're hiring, you're recruiting people, right? Nonstop. Nonstop. <laughs> and even today. Yeah. Jobapps.com. Are, are, are we have a current police officer recruit? Great job. Amazing major city police department that closes May 9th. Again, that's jobappscloud.com. Start, starting pays 55,000. I mean, in this world, who has a 25 year pension? Great yeah. retirements and benefits. Uh, the city has a program now when you're off probation. You can go to college for free at the University of Arizona. Zero cost. I mean, that's a huge. Repeat that because people, I, I tell people that all the time. He's, they're going to help you get your degree. The, the city of Tucson created an amazing partnership. Uh, our, uh, one of our assistant chiefs, Eric Kazmierzak, was part of that conversation. But what we recognize is we needed to continue to build partnerships that would incentivize people to want to either stay in the city of Tucson as graduates in high school of our own community or attract folks to our community. So what, a, you know, what a great partnership with the city of Tucson and University of Arizona to create a program for city employees where you can effectively go to school for zero cost and, and, and get your bachelor's and master's degree. So, and I'll tell you, that's a big deal because you know, we're looking deal. at getting ready to send my son to Northern Arizona University with some level of grants and it's still going to be a $25,000 a year out of pocket expense. That's a lot of money. Lots it's, of money. Holy cow. Okay. How are you going to retain these people once they get hired on and go through the training process and everything? What are your plans to keep people in Tucson? So last year, the department, uh, you know, we, when we talk about attrition and, and, and hiring and recruiting and retention are all very different conversations that contribute to a healthy organization and stable stable staffing levels. So when we think about, you know, the first thing that I have full control over is, you know, I don't really have full control over anything when we talk about other human beings, but <laughs> I have most control over retention and, and how my team feels about the work that they do and the support that they have. So last year, 99 officers left this department. Only 42 of those officers retired. In January of this year, uh, six department members retired that represented almost 170 years of public safety service. So I really want, you know, again, the, the listeners to understand when, when we have 170 years of experience retire in one month and I put out, um, the replacement six officers out in the field after a nine month training program, that, you know, that experience is not equal. And yeah. it takes a lot of years. If we, and, and, and let's really put that into context. Uh, nine months of training. Uh, I had the opportunity to speak to a business group this week and a room full of plumbers, you know, people that own plumbing companies and air conditioning companies and, and electricians, home builders. And I asked them, how many years, you know, do your employees have of experience before you'll go release them on their own on a project? And it was two years, three years, four yeah. years. And so one of the things I love talking about is in nine months, we take a human being at 21 whose brain isn't fully developed for another four years. They might have still been living at home. They still might be at home. They might have only been driving for a year or two. And we teach them constitutional law. We teach them Arizona law. We teach them use of force. We teach them how to drive with lights and sirens. We teach them self-defense. We teach them lethal force, less lethal force, how to shoot a firearm, how to shoot these less lethal platforms. And in nine months, in nine months, and then we put a camera on their chest and we tell them, okay, 
Now go out and, you know, good luck. And yeah. start filling that, start filling that toolbox up full of experiences each call you go to. And so I, I never want us to be desensitized to three things. You know, what were you good at nine months after, you know, uh, uh, focusing on an area? You know, you have to go to two years of college to get an associate's degree, four years of college to get a bachelor's, another two years to get a master's, another two years to get a PhD. So this country has to start investing resources in training. I don't know anyone who got better at doing something when they did less of it. So when we talk about defunding, you know, if you want innovation and evolution of policing, that takes investment. Yeah. And it takes investment in people and it takes investment in technology and it takes investment in tools. And so all those things play a role into retention. Uh, but I play the biggest role of retention in creating an environment where we brand the two, you know, we have a Tucson police department brand and it's Tucson and I've traveled the country and this is a special major city. Sometimes we forget Tucson's the 33rd largest, uh, city in the country. I always thought it was a suburb of Chicago. Oh, it's sometimes, well, you know, with our violent crimes, sometimes it feels that way and we're yeah. going to talk about that today. But, <laughs> yes. uh, so it first starts with a sense of belonging a sense that uh, leadership identifies and understands the challenges of the job. The second key component of that is balanced workload. And the third is fair pay in that order, engage leadership, uh, fair workload and balanced pay. And so I have to focus on that perfect recipe of those things to create an environment where I can retain my staff and drop our attrition rate from nine last year to, you know, what has historically been six, but I'd, I'd sure love to see that, you know, to two or three a month. Yeah, Absolutely. Funding. <laughs> that's that's hard to do. How do you get funding to, you know, make all this happen? So funding is complicated, right? So, uh, Proposition 101 is sunsetting. Proposition 411 is on the ballot. Uh, Proposition 101 pumped $15 million a year into the Tucson Police Department budget. And uh, the public safety team is expensive, and that means fire, police, and emergency communications. It takes all three of us, actually, to make you know the team work here. Uh, Chuck and I can't do our jobs out. Chuck Ryan is a fire chief, and, and I can't do our jobs if, if Sharon McDonough and her team down at communications aren't getting the work out to us. So uh, we actually just had a, a pretty complex budget conversation with our boss, uh, Deputy City Manager Leona Press, this week. And it's really, frankly, a negotiation. Our city budget's no different than our home budgets. Often our wants and desires are... Uh, ex- it exceed the capacity coming in. And although the city's in a decent financial position, it's still, we have a lot of un- uh, unmet uh, financial needs. So if 411 passes, um, we've got commitment from Aaron Council. There'll be uh, an $18 million a year uh, minimum capacity budget that's set aside for additional uh, needs for public safety team to uh, to share uh, and, and work through every year to prioritize, you know, the needs. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a conversation we still have to continue to work on. We still have a lot of crown Victorias out there. You see them with, uh, rusty trunks and roofs. And, you know, frankly, we have to do better. Those are the, the office space of, uh, our police officers, of our men and women who are out there working in those cars 10 hours a day. Yeah. And if they're breaking down, you don't even issue bus passes, do you? No, no, we don't. So we're, you know, the, the, you know, the budget we're, we're looking, you know, we're a big draw from the city budget, about $160 million that we're looking at for FY23. 92% of that budget is personnel cost. And, uh, it's, uh, it's an expensive part of the city budget. I'm, I recognize that. But, you know, and as I'm talking in the community and sometimes I hear about the defunding, I, what I really like to do is dissect and when, um, some some uh, community members want to talk about social services and investment, I say, hey, I'm with you. 
but it doesn't necessarily mean it needs to come from my budget. The city has a large budget, and yeah. they can prioritize what they're sending their money on. So we want to vote yes on 411? I can't, obviously. Uh, I can. You sure can. Yeah, um, we want to vote so yes I, on 411. I, you know, I'm really pr- I'll tell this. As a native of Tucson, uh, I'm really proud of, of the way that the city uh, managed Proposition 101. Uh, we did what we said we would do. In fact, we've even done better, and they've been extremely transparent and accountable to a board that oversaw that. So I think as the voters are looking at it, um, uh, I'm, I'm proud of the work we've accomplished. And you see that when you see the Tucson delivers, and it did deliver. I mean, it was we we would have been in big trouble with the police department without those funds. But you know, as far as 411 goes, 80 percent is focused on arterial roads of, of residential areas, and I think we can all agree we drive on a lot of streets that need a lot of work. But the part that's going to be helpful for me too as a police chief is 20 percent of that's for safer streets. And what that means is we start talking about our fatality problem and 17 pedestrians this year, 33 fatalities already. When I have it, when I identify with my staff a geographic area that needs lighting and investment of of reengineering there'd be some funds to actually work, help me out with that. What about the violent crime? I mean, people all across the country, oh, oh, defund the police. Crime rate is huge, not just here, across the country. What what do you say about this? What's the solution? So we're certainly in good company with the rest of the country, and, and not just major cities, but the rest of the country. And I think a few things contribute into that. Um, I think a post-George Floyd world, I think a post-pandemic world, um, I don't think we fully understand the complexities of how the pandemic has impacted us as human beings. I think what's very clear to everybody is there's shorter fuses and there's more guns out on the street. We had 93 homicides, which includes uh, eight of our officer-involved shootings from last year and those numbers. But what we know is 26 of those uh, investigations of those homicides last year, four of those 26 were road rage and the others were spontaneous fights. So what that means is, you know, it's possible if, if you know, 26 different people last year chose to go the other way when another human being tried to have conflict with them, maybe they'd still be here today. And so you, we always have a choice. Uh, we don't live in a world anymore where you should engage somebody who's driving aggressively and honking. Just turn and go the other way. Call and report them if you can get their license plate. But I really want to challenge folks that, you know, there's there's no such thing as a, as a good old-fashioned just disagreement and argument in a parking lot anymore. No. And I certainly share that with my family and friends and our staff of uh, make make good decisions and go the other way. So I think it's a contributor of shorter fuses. I think it's a contributor of of more access to guns. Nationwide, we're seeing youth getting involved with violent crime. I, I read a resume just two days ago, two nights ago, where we had a 13 and a 14-year-old carjack a vehicle with a firearm from someone in this community. Um, we had a, a large investigation with a, a, a gang. I won't give them credit of saying their name, which was a which was a, a mainly youth that were involved in homicides and drug transactions and and murder for hires and all sorts of different things. So it's a it's a difficult thing. But I think we also have to acknowledge in an environment where if police officers don't feel like they're going to be fairly treated or given a fair shot that there's a pulling back and in, in of of not getting engaged in more than the calls for service that are dispatched and not wanting to do proactive work. So as the chief, I you know part of my role is to get people excited about doing the job again. And so the officers are are hearing me on the radio. I'm stopping by their traffic stops. I stopped by one this morning. Uh, I'm doing my own traffic stop. So I'm going to contribute um, and engage and and I don't you know and 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 create an environment where the staff gets excited about doing the work again. It used to be where um, law enforcement, you'd see them patrolling 
and it doesn't seem like they're patrolling anymore. When you see law enforcement, it's usually lights and sirens, and they're going this way, that way. They're answering calls. Are they going to get back to patrolling the areas and getting to know the people? So we're we're certainly doing that. So we have an authorized commission strength of 860, and right now I'm at 145. That means I have about 135 vacancies with about 75 officers in training. And but our 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 staffing model has really changed because we're also expanding something we call our community service officer program. And and yeah, for the, I saw that. Yeah. So the great part about that is what what the community is going to see is um, they look similar to a police officer. Sometimes they're in our car, uh, a, a normal traditionally marked police car. Sometimes they're in a different vehicle, but they wear a light blue uniform and they have uh, a duty belt without less lethal tools. But they help us with traffic collisions. They'll help us with burglar. Uh, uh, burglary overs where somebody goes home and recognizes her house been burglarized, but they've already recognized it's safe and nobody's there. Um, uh, you know, general reporting. There's just a variety of different calls, and we're actually looking at scaling and, and expanding the calls for service that they can help us with. And that does two things for us, and it kind of touches on a point that you just brought up, is you'll see officers doing the work that's important and required of somebody who has uh, more training and lethal platforms and different things and skills and experiences, but there's a lot of work that does doesn't require a police officer in this community. Sure. And it allows me to really focus and scale the expansion and rebuilding of the department in different areas. This um, community service officer, can you be, how old do you have to be? Can you be 18? Absolutely. So thank you. So 18 years of age, we're, uh, we, are at, we are currently working with all of the local high schools. So we're authorized at 87 positions. We have 75 of those filled, 25 of those being currently folks in training. We do have some amazing partnerships with our local schools. We're partnering with Sunnyside right now. Steve Holmes and his staff have just been outstanding to work with. But here's a really cool part. You could become a community, sa- a community safety officer, or um, I'll give a plug to Acamo, too, the public safety communications, and become a call taker. And you can stay in Tucson out of high school and make more than the household median income here in Tucson with benefits straight out of high school at 18 years of age. So we're trying to we're trying to work with the schools and engage them in their sophomore, junior year so they understand that as soon There's as they graduate, we're ready to hire them. And, and as a city as a whole, it's not just the public safety team because Chuck can hire firefighters at the, at the age of 18 as well. And I, I really want to challenge, you know, everybody listening today to, to spread the word on their social media platforms and your friends and family. Um, I mean, again, I have an art degree. You don't have to have a criminal justice degree or have always wanted to be a police officer your entire life or a firefighter or work in a 911 center. We want people who aren't really sure what they want to do with their life. And this is an amazing city to stay in and to work in and to work, live and play. And, and we want to keep our high school graduates here in Tucson. And you have the Explorer program, too. We do. And, and uh, I actually ran into the Explorer. That they were having um, a meeting I think it was Monday evening, and I got to talk with them a little bit, and I was teasing them. They were getting ready to do a 10-code test, which is sometimes we use abbreviated language and codes on the radio to expedite our communication. Um, amazing group of young uh, young human beings in our police department, and we're certainly looking to expand that. But that goes back to investment, right? I have to have capacity and funds and people to invest in our youth and to create connections that create a pipeline of, of uh, Tucsonans that, A, know more about their police department and don't fear their police department and what, you know, with the narrative and, and meet in the media and B, you know, they think, wow, this is, this is somewhat somewhere I want to work and somewhere that I feel a sense of belonging to. And every day is different. You but, won't get bored. Uh, that was, <laughs> you know, 
from my first day in training to every day as the chief of police, that is still something that draws me to this career. I give my, my team a hard time, the executive leadership team in the chief's office. I said, man, I don't know why I, lo- I love coming back to work every Monday because every Monday's tough. But <laughs> it's uh, every day is a little bit different, and I don't think every profession can say that. Yeah. And uh, But that's part of the excitement that draws all of us to this profession. Very cool. Okay. Stay with us. If you have any questions for the chief, the number is 790-2040. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. Hi, this is Rich Tracy. The Law Matters Live weekly radio show was created to give law enforcement a voice rather than a soundbite. In doing so, we also give our listeners a voice with federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies across the country, the legal community, government officials, and our military. You will hear truthful, up-to-date information valuable to you and your family while contributing to and encouraging safer communities. Hi, this is David Zuelo, president of 88 Crime. Every year, 88 Crime hosts an award dinner to honor the brave men and women of law enforcement from across southern Arizona. This year's dinner will be on May 7th at the beautiful Savoy Opera House on Tanka Verde. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor or making a donation to support the event, please go to 88crime.org for more details. We appreciate your generosity and support. Tickets may also be purchased on Eventbrite. To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to 233-733. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook. Every Saturday morning at 8, Law Matters Live Show brings you law enforcement. Our next show talks about Police Week held in Washington, D.C. each May, what it means, and what we can do to support law enforcement. Hi, this is Sherry, also inviting you to join our 1030 Challenge detailed on our website. We can't do these shows without your support. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, lawmatters1030.org. Okay, we're back, and our guest today is uh, Chad, our police chief from Tucson, and I want to hear more about this critical incident team. What What is this about, and how did it come about? Thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk a little bit about that. So the Pima Regional Critical Incident Team, uh, long title, PRCIT, again, not an acronym <laughs> that rolls off the tip of your tongue. Uh, I'll give credit to Chief Riley, Kara Riley from Oro Valley and Sheriff Chris Nanos for really kicking this conversation off last year. So, again, post-Georgian environment, a lot of the elected officials and politicians across the country decided that uh, maybe police departments shouldn't be investigating their own critical incidents or their lethal uses of force. And there was some failed legislation attempts up at the Capitol last year, and there's more conversation this year that I think will yield a... What ultimately becomes the opportunity, and, and this is forecasted, I think it's three or f- three to five years out, so they'll give everybody time to prepare for this, but the idea is that uh, it's either the Department of Public Safety or a local regionized, uh, regionalized public safety approach to um, what will kick off as focusing on officer-involved shootings, but ultimately will probably be expanded to all 
criminal investigations. And so the the chief and the chief Riley and the sheriff decided, hey, let's get this going here now and develop this on our own because the best process is going to happen if we design it, not elected officials up in Phoenix, <laughs> you know, the capital. <laughs> And politicians, and, and ultimately they put it together. So kudos uh, f- for them really facilitating this. So there's 10 different uh, police departments, our department, of course, the Sheriff's Department, Marana PD, or Valley PD, Saudita, UVA, uh, Tucson Airport, South Tucson, Pima College, and Pascua Yaqui. And we launched this on March 1st. We did some, you know, some media on it to educate the community. But what, what this entails now is year one, if Tucson Police Department, like we have, uh, actually let me step back, the Sheriff's Department actually had the first one, uh, where they had an, a deputy involved shooting. So Tucson Police Department now responds out with a group, a board. So there's, uh, you know, six to eight different agencies that go out to gain the experience, but we're going to, we're going to run lead. Our criminal investigators will run lead on that investigation for the sheriff's department. And that provides another layer of transparency in this community. So it's, you know, it's an incident at the sheriff's department. It's the Tucson Police Department doing the criminal investigation. We will then present that package of information to the Pima County Attorney. So it gives two independent levels of review, which we should really celebrate in this community. A, it's not easy to get so many different departments working together. I don't know another uh, regional approach in this country at this scale that's happening. So let's certainly celebrate that as a community. And I want to give credit really to the staff, uh, the, the, the sheriff and I and, and all the other chiefs. We've, we have three of these. Uh, two of them are, are, are officer involved shootings from this year that are being investigated from the Pima County Sheriff's Department and support from the other agencies. And, and again, ours with the Sheriff's Department and our staff has just been amazing. They've been patient. They've been flexible. And the really cool part is they're sharing information and they're becoming better investigators because of that. So oh, absolutely. Really just some, work together. Yeah, absolutely. And so we, uh, there's been, you know, as we're rebuilding relationships in this community, not just out in the community, but really as there's a lot of new leadership within the public safety teams here uh, to include uh, U of A, uh, it's an opportunity for us to take a different approach and have a mo- more cohesive leadership team in this region. Very cool. I'm I'm glad to hear that. That sounds sounds like we're moving forward instead of standing still. Absolutely. I remember when uh, Sheriff Napier was sheriff, he created a citizens advisory board or council. Are you having that? Are you going to create one of those, or do you already have one that I don't know about? We so I don't have one at the moment. I'm the the chief Magnus did, and I'm going to. It's, we call it a chief's advisory council as well. Okay. And right now what we have is a couple different opportunities for the community to be engaged. So any use of force, we have uh, something we call a force review board. That that individual, that, that group, which includes community, and includes independent police auditor, and it can also include community subject matter experts as well as department and uh, agency. And they view they review anything from randomized cases of, let's say, taser deployments to dog bites to lower-level uses of force all the way up to an officer-involved shooting with a firearm. And then we also have another board called a Sentinel Event Review Board, which is a higher level when there's uh, more apparent system failures and we want to know more larger picture than it's just a, a, a larger scaled version of that. So that's two different ways that the community can be engaged with participating and better understanding, you know, how our police department works and, and how progressive we are with, with our use of force review. But I'm still in an information gathering stage and connecting with the community. This is, a, again, a big community uh, getting through all the geographic areas and really connecting with uh, the community and hearing what they want from the police department. And then what I'll be standing up is my own version of a, a chief's advisory council, which will include youth. 
Oh. Uh, the youth are the future, and sometimes we forget about them. Yeah. Uh, and so it'll be a, it'll be a rotating, it'll be a monthly meeting where they'll have access to me and in the department. They'll hear some things that we're doing. They'll have the ability to, to look at policy and influence uh, the police department and, and and have a voice. So lots of cool opportunities. You know, we do a great job. We have uh, a pro uh, a program director, Margo Susco, whose primary job is just to go out and do community engagement and create opportunities for our police officers and our professional staff to engage with a, a, a variety of, of, of different ways in our community. And she does an outstanding job with that. She also oversees our volunteer program. So if you're at home and you're bored and you decided you may be retired too soon, uh, give us a call. We have work for you. Yeah, uh, we, have a, we have a robust volunteer program that helps us out with community events and, and uh, organizing activities. And so we're always looking for folks that uh, would like to come spend some time with us. I'm glad you said you're going to have youth on your, your board because... They are eye-opening <laughs> when you hear what they have to say. When you ask them, what are your teachers and your parents don't know? And just sit back and listen to them. And it's just like mind-blowing, the things that go on in their life. So I'm glad you have that. That's good. Let's talk about the homeless situation. Yeah, Tucson is uh, not unique to this challenge. No, um, so we, we can call it homeless. We call it unsheltered, unhoused. And, and I'll tell you, I, 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 you know, through my last 10 years of my career, I've had the opportunity to travel the country and go to major city chief conferences and police executive research forum conferences. Um, and we are no different than any other major city that, that has a, a, a large population of, of folks that are, don't have the means to, uh, or the the mental stability to, to live on their own, uh, or they're struggling with substance misuse. So a couple different things in how Tucson's trying to tackle this right now. One, you know, I want to give again city leadership a little bit of credit here for for leaning in and, and recognizing, okay, we've got to do something different, or this problem's going to continue to get worse. So there's a couple different programs that that play into that. Community safety, health, and wellness, which has a program uh, director Sarah Lahanias who oversees basically looking at what are the biggest issues in the city and, and how can we better organize our resources. For example, we have an amazing, this, this, this community is generous. They're generous with their time. They're generous with their money. Uh, we have a lot of 5013Cs that focus on supporting folks who are experiencing, uh, uh, houselessness. Some, you know, and look, you touched base on it earlier. It's not just folks who are dealing with substance misuse. We have an elderly population whose rent's being doubled and they can't afford to stay where they're at. We have single single parents who are having to work two and three jobs to try to make it. So this this situation only has the potential to get worse right now, not better, with with where the country's at economically and the, and the challenges we face. So through community safety, health, and wellness, uh, uh, an investment of resources and ARPA funds there through the Housing First program under Brandy Champion and, and Liz Morales is really focused on and the principle. And again, and you know, there's there's no panacea here, and I'm not saying this is the sole solution, but a Housing First model is where the concept is you got to get somebody with a roof over their head before you can invest wraparound services to get them stabilized. That's and true. then a third part of that is still for the community to recognize we're out there. We have a homeless outreach team. We have a mental health support team, and we have a substance misuse research team. So we have three different teams of individuals that proactively go out and look for individuals who are experiencing houselessness, homelessness, being unsheltered, or substance misuse or mental health issues, and, and connecting with them wherever they're living on the streets and saying, hey, how can we help you? And so this is a, this is a community problem. It's not a police department problem. Absolutely. That's a community problem. So just what you know, I'd, I'd like the listenership to know is um, we understand your fears. Uh, we understand your frustrations. Certainly I spent a lot of time with the business community and their frustrations of, of panhandlers and um, 
uh, homeless issues that are impacting their business or shoplifting because it goes into property crime. Typically, our our unsheltered folks are are uh, if, we, if we look and we talk about tying crime because there's a lot of fear that sometimes that goes with well are they violent and. Typically, what we see is they're actually lower-level misdemeanor crimes if they're committing those offenses, but they're often the victims of, of higher levels of violent crime and being targeted. So it's a complex issue. We are a voice in the conversation. We are not. We are no longer driving the conversation. So I think you know this country spoke out two years ago and decided they didn't want police officers having to tackle every you know, every system failure in this country. And so you know i restructured the department when i when i first got back and we created a new bureau and that fourth bureau really focuses on two things proactive work within the department uh, under our mental health and wellness and investing in our own department members but also a proactive transition of responsibilities so when you know calls come into 911 and the traditional model is if you're having a heart attack or your house is on fire the fire department goes and everything else goes to the police department but what i like <laughs> to tell people is when, syst- when the mental health system fails and substance misuse treatment systems fail, right? People that are, perf- that, that, that have PhDs in this area and then the 911 system's called and you have somebody with four months of training who's making 20 bucks an hour and someone who has nine, in, in 911 processing that information, a crisis information and then they send that call to a police officer who's, you know, about the same age and has double that training. And then we have this expectation that everything's going to go perfect in the field when somebody's in crisis or somebody has weapons on them. You know, um, that's unrealistic and unreasonable. And, you know, I'm here to say 99% of the time, those two systems and, the, and even add Chuck in with his fire department, a third system, do a beautiful job in resolving that. But, you know, I want to keep providing, you know, shining light on this conversation that those are there are other systems that fail before, you know, we have bad outcomes out in the field. That's that's true. What about um, media and some of the rhetoric that's being used when they're reporting things? I heard um, Pierre, I, I don't know his last name, on one of the stations. He was describing what was happening. They showed the video, and instead of saying the policeman arrested the person, it was the racist police arrested this person. I was like, why are you stirring the pot? <laughs> you know, the interesting thing is the chief in a chief position and it, you know as i've spent the last four months really engaging with a variety of different community members is there's everything you know from abolished police department um activists in our community to in the middle to you know very you know staunch police supporters and i i'm really i'm accountable to all of them and all of them have the opportunity to communicate with me should they should they choose to and that includes media I think it's complicated. I, I think, you know, as a, as a chief and in this profession, um, we have to be transparent when things don't go right. But the media certainly doesn't traditionally help us to, to be transparent about the things we do well. And so they are certainly contributing to an environment that, you know, all police are bad and everything we're doing is, you know, fraught, fraught with peril and we're, we're, we're racist or, you know, it's a system, you know, systemic failure. And, and that might be true in other parts of the country because when we when we we talk about policing, it's a little bit of a one size fits all. And often when I'm in the community and they're sharing their experiences, they're not with my department. They're with you know from Chicago, they're from Atlanta, they're from New Jersey, they're from California, or and sometimes they are from from us. But it was 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, we certainly have some that are from last week. But so as a chief, I have to onboard those experiences and connect and you know i have a high degree of empathy for somebody who's had a bad interaction with a police officer that certainly happens 
But I'm also very empathetic to the police officers and the complexities of, of their job. But the media, and I think last night we saw an example of that. We um, kudos to the city of you know a public safety team and being transparent with an interaction with a community member that um, was a tough one to watch. And if you look at uh, you know the story at KVOA Channel Four versus the, the story that the Sentinel ran, you know I think the Sentinel was very fair, and I think the KVOA one wasn't. You know, and so when they have video. Um, to watch on their own. It's not just a statement that our staffs provided and they cater, you know, they, they use words like alleged, you know, when you can watch that video yourself and see what happened, I'd say that's not a fair shot. And I'm going to call those kind of uh, stories out every time that I can. Good. And you can call them out right here because it's one of my frustrations and one of my pet peeves. And one of the reasons we actually started doing this radio show was to give law enforcement a true voice and not a sound bite and get the real story out there and we've we've uh talked about 2020 did a story that involved uh sheriff daniels and it was just total bs the way they slanted the story and it's just so not fair so i had a i was a young internal affairs lieutenant and i've spent over half of my career uh, in, in investigating uh, alleged police misconduct and use of force at the highest levels and I was passionately playing a, a position to an assistant chief, Chief Brett Klein at the time, and he looked at me and he said, he said, Casmar, uh, he goes, there's two kinds of fair in this world, it's state and county. Now get out of my office and go do your job. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and wait for uh, the media to be fair with me. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, you know, I had a community activist tell me a couple months ago, you need to be more transparent about the amazing work that you are doing. But that's, that's complicated because here's, Here's how that works. I was at another community meeting where I was, you know, told about police propaganda, which is another perspective from yeah. a community member who's very critical and, and is more on abolish, shut a system down and, and build a new system. Hey, I, police officers wish we lived in a world, too, where we didn't exist. But that's not the reality of the world we live in yeah, uh, with the challenges that we face. So, you know, so it's tough because we we do more in community engagement as a police department than any other department that I know of in the city of Tucson. But we often don't talk about it because we're not, you know, I'm not looking to create PR or, you know, police propaganda. You know, this department's interested in developing legitimate community relationships um, because we're not just investing in this community in the middle of a crisis. We're investing now. We're like any other relationship. You know, I've been married. I've been with my wife for 25 years, been married 22. We haven't been married that long because it's easy because we put a lot of work and investment in that. So our relationship with the community is no different. We're making investments now. So when we do have a mistake or a bad outcome, which, you know, you, you we've seen, you know, I inherited the Officer Remington situation when I came back. There are going to be outcomes that we're not proud of and we don't want. But, you know, let me scale that. You know, A, we're going to be transparent. We're going to look at those systems failures because we do employ human beings with nine months of training, and they're going to make mistakes, right? But we de- we deploy average to 300,000 calls for service a year. We have over half a million contacts with the public a year. Last year, eight of those contacts resulted in our highest levels of force, officer-involved shootings. That's point zero 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 zero. 2% of the time that we interact with the community that we have the highest levels of force. You know, we saved, you know, over 200 individuals last year deploying naloxone, which is a, 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 to help with an opiate overdose. Those are the things that we can celebrate. But when I'm out in 
you know, you know, engaging the youth and our staff uh, in communities of color. You're, I'm not, we're not posting that on our social media. Yeah. Now, if they want, if you, the community wants to post, we're 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 excited about that because that's their experience to share. But uh, there's the complexity: is okay. So we want to be transparent. We want to build relationships, but we don't, we also don't want to cheapen that experience or others to feel like we're doing it for the PR. So we choose not to talk, not to publish that. And when we depend on the community to be fair with us, when we do make a mistake and say, hey, that's not our police department and that's not our experience with the officers that work in our area. So you asked me about community policing uh, earlier, and, and we do a beautiful job of doing that. And, and I want to give Operations Division South, um, who's actually doing a car seat, child seat inspection program today till noon. So if you're out there today, swing by. Uh, most of your car seats are installed incorrectly. It's 4400 South Park. You can interact with our police officers who will just check out your your uh, your car seat, and they might even have a few out there if yours is in not in good working condition. But it's you know to give you a new one. But those are the opportunities where we connect weekly, daily. Uh, this weekend, this is you know I have other community engagement things that I'll be doing today. Um, so I'm really proud of the police department that we have and the level of engagement that we do in our community. But those are real experiences uh, that we're not going to be tweeting and and putting on Facebook and on our our department webpage. So Get involved. Uh, all of your four divisions, Operation Div- Division South, West, Midtown, and the East Side have amazing command teams and, and, uh, and officers that work out there that are ready to come out to your community events and, and help, help you learn more about your police department. I've heard on some departments, and we had um, Corey on here a couple of weeks ago with the uh, unsolved murders, and I've heard some departments actually will have volunteer retired law enforcement homicide people volunteer to help work these cases do you have a uh, system like that we do we have a cold case um unit that does that and here here's a here's one of the really amazing things that's coming out of the legislation this year up in up the capitol which is my ability to hire back retired police officers after they've been gone and separated from the city for six months so what's cool about that is uh maybe somebody who entered the the, uh, retirement program and then they had to leave and they're gone for three or six months and they decide you know I don't think I'm done with this yet. Yeah, I'm bored. And, and I and and that provides another opportunity for me to put one or two of those individuals in a lot of my investigative units. There's some patrol work they could be doing. You know, it's an opportunity for them not to have to wear the gun belt and all those different things. But again, they can bring their 20 and 30 years of experience to a group of new detectives, and and that allows us at a time where the organization's so young and we're having so much transition. Mentorship, yeah, is and huge. expectations are so high for perfection. Yeah. Well, okay, you know, you don't get it both ways. You don't get a brand new employee at the lowest tier of the payroll with no experiences and expect a an, an 86 percent homicide, you know, uh, case solving rate, which we have here. Kudos to my team who was out this week. 86 percent when the national average is about 54 percent. Wow. I mean, and that you know that unit hasn't doubled as our homicide unit. You know, ours homicides in town have have increased. So it's just, you know, those those cases are getting solved because of the men and women working in there and pouring their heart and souls into these cases. Let's talk about the gang violence. What's your perspective on, on solving this or making it go away? And is it something that's that's started here or is this something that's per- filtering over from Mexico? Is it, you know, what's going on with the gangs? Gangs have changed over the, the past couple decades, and and so we don't see the traditional street corner gangs where this is my corner and I'm going to sell drugs off of this corner and there's right. violence over you know territory. Uh, the the social media platforms have changed that, and so there's uh, it's more social media based now. 
it's more fluid. It's spread throughout town. Again, I, you know, do I think we have a gang problem? I, I wouldn't go that far. Do I think we have active gangs in our community that are committing violent crime and, and selling narcotics? Absolutely. Um, fentanyl and methamphetamine is a huge problem in every major city, including our own. And so fentanyl has, you know, just exploded because it's, it's anywhere from three to five dollars a pill. And it's a synthetic opiate for the listenership who doesn't know what that is. Um, but this is the, the new version of, of a, a Percocet or Oxycodone or, or a pain pill. But those pills traditionally cost 20 to $40 a pill. So these pills are now 2 to $5 a pill. Gee. You know, the sheriff's department um, did interdiction, I think, the weekend before last and, 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 and recovered almost 4,000 pills. That's 4,000 pills that didn't make it out in our community. Yeah. But I'm, you know, the, the, you know, for me... We certainly have resources, uh, community response team that's, that's, you know, in the absence of us having our own gang unit because that's something that, you know, went away when we had to structure the department down with, with, and scale it because we just got, we've gotten so lean. Certainly something I'd like to bring back when we stabilize because it is an area we have to focus on. And, and for the listenership, the, the gang unit just didn't go out to do, you know, stop and make arrests. They were engaging youth. Because when youth get involved with gangs, they're looking, again, for a sense of belonging. They're looking for something they're not getting at home. And so, you know, the community plays a role. We play a role. Um, and there's a lot of youth engagement in this community. But there's also a lot of youth at home in a pandemic environment where the parents aren't around or they're being raised by grandparents or, or no parents. I was going to say by and, themselves. Raising and and themselves. bad things happen. So, you know, it, it goes back into a co- more complicated conversation of as long as we continue in this country to have school you know ratios of one you know one teacher to 40 students in our public school systems and you know three counselors for a thousand kids and no after school programs and we don't invest in our parks including the city of tucson right we need to have programs and parks and things you know as a parent not just as a chief you know i understand these things idle hands you know kids are going to get into trouble if they don't have uh, people that are that are engaged and care about what their lives look like and making investments and helping keeping them on track and there's activities for them to do so it's complicated again the explorer program all these kids that have nothing to do how many kids can you have in an explorer program is there a set number or can kids just join how does it work so yes the kids can uh, you know certain certainly parents can can reach out to you we'll get an up we'll get you a, a number and an email address here that we can that we can give everybody but you know if if, if parents are listening and they're and they're thinking okay i've got a, a middle school or high school student that maybe could use some activities this summer mm-hmm. um you know give us a call we'll, we'll put them to work in the explorer program is really about um uh, again a sense of belonging about them getting to to understand it's about volunteerism it's certainly something all of our community should do better, including my department. You know, we're celebrating. I'm, I'm, a, I'm actually a board member of the Boys and Girls Club. And sometimes I have difficulty even getting my own team members. They're, they're pretty tapped out after their regular week and looking for some, you know, R&R and, and, and decompression. Um, but, you know, one of the ways to feel better about um, what you do is to is to volunteer. And so the Explorer program really blends these things. So you can reach out to Don Jorgensen. It's D-O-N dot Jorgensen, J-O-R-G-E-N-S-O-N at TucsonAZ.gov, or you can call us at 520-539-6203 uh, and, and reach out to us, and, and we'll get you involved with the local Explorer Post 180 here in Tucson. What if somebody wants to do a ride-along? Do they do those now? Yes. I mean, COVID and everything is... 
We do. So okay. we're obviously limiting those right now to, to individuals who are thinking, hey, you know, I'd like to know more about the police department, either as a community engagement angle or looking for future employment. Uh, we're certainly starting to do those again. And I actually just sent my son, my 18-year-old, on a, on a, on a ride along with Station 1 at Tucson Fire Department this past week just to make sure for him to figure out what he wants to do with his life, give him another opportunity to, to and, look at a profession. Absolutely. And you'll learn something. And I tell people that send them to the Explorer program or any of these other programs that uh, law enforcement and government agencies have. They'll learn something. They'll learn they love it or they don't want to do it, but they're going to learn something. They're going to learn something. And, and, you know, one positive thing to come out of the last two years of really the evolution of our profession. And, you know, one thing I love to do in community groups is, you know, there's a lot of conversation about uh, reform um, or transform. And what I tell people is, how about evolution? You know, we, we expect, you expect your next cell phone to evolve, right? And be a better platform than the one you're using. Uh, Same with your car, you know, same with anything that you're going to purchase that's new and it's better than you expect it to be better than the one, you know? So when we look at policing, maybe we, and we step back and we go, and I tell my staff, you know, this is a $160 million business with, you know, what should be at least 1200 employees. And, what we provide is a service of community safety, which is really complex and has a bunch of different things that we do. But we have to evolve to meet community expectations. And so, you know, what I'm what I'm even challenging the narrative around is we want to meet the community's expectations and we're going to evolve to meet those. But that takes uh, a cadre of professional staff, crime lab scientists, analysts, our community service officers, record staff. There's so many really cool jobs that people don't really recognize that we have. And so, you know, the stuff you see on cops is like 0.001% of the stuff that we do. And yes, our police officers live for those moments of excitement. But, you know, 85% of the work we do is really social service driven and connecting with community and helping people that are having a really bad day or they're in crisis and getting them to a different position, which is uh, beyond words can describe rewarding. Tell us again, how can they apply for a job? Yes, you can You can certainly go to the city of Tucson uh, hiring. You can look at all the city in Tucson um, and, and opportunity, employment opportunities at jobappscloud, J-O-B-A-P-S, cloud.com. Again, I'll give the pitch for the police officer recruit, which is available now. Starting pay is about $55,000 a year, three days off. You can you can come work more for us with your three days off. We have plenty of overtime opportunities, or uh, you can enjoy your time away. But that closes May 9th. Take a peek at that. We will be recruiting for uh, community service officers again towards the end of the year, um, and uh, and we're also going to be working with uh, high school graduates here to see what their employment interests. So if you're you're uh, you have a you have a high school graduate coming up, reach out to the police department at the information that we provided, and we'd love to talk to your to your young adult. Very cool and. Do you have officers? We only have uh, like 30 seconds left. Do you have officers in schools? We do. School resource? We we don't. The school resource, you know, again, post-George Floyd, expectations and people having fear of having police. But the philosophy of the police department is, you know, engaging youth and keeping them out of the criminal justice system and keeping, you know, being a mentor, being a resource that helps them make good life decisions. That's the philosophy of our department. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and talking to us. And we've got, you know, three pages of questions here we didn't get to. But I think we have to come back. I, I would love to have you come back. And thank you for coming in as well. You have a good day. Shop local. Stay safe. Talk to you soon. Have a great day, too, soon.
Every Saturday morning at 8, Law Matters Live Show brings you law enforcement. Our next show talks about Police Week held in Washington, D.C. each May, what it means, and what we can do to support law enforcement. Hi, this is Sherry, also inviting you to join our 1030 Challenge detailed on our website. We can't do these shows without your support. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, lawmatters1030.org. 